Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome to the second season of Criminalia. This season, we're exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious stalkers throughout history. I'm Maria Tremarki. And I'm Holly Fry. And as we did in the first season, we plan to look at some of history's transgressions to get a better understanding of what really went down. And in doing so, we're hoping that we'll get some perspective on whether any of these alleged perpetrators emerge instead as sympathetic characters. And also how these crimes look through today's eyes, because as they say, a little distance goes a long way. So our first season was all about women poisoners. And frankly, it was all about arsenic, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now in season two, hopefully we'll see far less arsenic, but we will see a lot more stalkers. Today, we're going to talk about Rufus Griswold, who was the arch nemesis of Edgar Allan Poe. And while the cause of Poe's death is a mystery still today, we do know one thing. Well, actually, we know two things. One, Griswold did not kill him. (laughs) Two, (laughs) everything we thought we knew about Poe is actually wrong. And it's Griswold's doing. 
But we're here to talk about the man Griswold was, not to solve the mystery of Poe's death. First, we need to lay a little groundwork and talk a little bit about stalking and stalkers. Right. So stalking, by definition, is simple. Like the definition just says it is the unwanted pursuit of another person. That's it. That's all. So it's a pretty wide net that could involve things like following someone or unexpectedly appearing at a person's home or a place of employment or making harassing phone calls, leaving written messages or objects, or vandalizing a person's property. We've seen a lot of this in the modern era, a little different (laughs) in history, Uh, not all the same technology available. And it could involve a little bit or a few of these things and still be defined as stalking. But it is also a crime. Right. Whether it's one or six, still a crime. So who becomes a stalker, you might wonder? Well, we wondered. So (laughs) the demographics related to stalkers are actually quite diverse. And as you're going to see this season, virtually anyone can become a stalker. They come from all walks of life and socioeconomic backgrounds. But despite the diversity, research shows that there are actually some common characteristics that they have. In the United States, according to the FBI, as many as 87% of stalkers are male and 80% are white. Half fall between the ages of 18 and 35. Most stalkers, again, according to the FBI, are of above average intelligence, and most earn above average incomes. But now let's take a look at the victims. So just as anyone could become a stalker, anyone could become a victim. Of all stalking victims, about three quarters, according to the FBI again, are women, and they are between the ages of 18 and 39, and 83% of them are white. Also, a little more than half of them are married. And indeed, as Maria said, anyone can become a stalker. Take Rufus Wilmot Griswold, for example. Griswold was by all accounts successful. He was a journalist, a literary critic, an anthologist, and an editor. That is a really impressive resume, and it looks really good on paper. But what he's best known for is his character assassination of Edgar Allan Poe. His hatred was palpable during the years of rivalry between the two authors, and that was a rivalry that didn't end until Griswold's death, which was well after Poe was long gone. Mm -hmm. So Griswold was born on February 13, 1815 in Vermont in a really small town outside of Rutland, and he was the 12th of 14 children. His father was a farmer and a shoemaker, and he raised his family strict Calvinist, and it was said that Griswold was intelligent looking. He had a high, broad forehead and large gray eyes, a sharp nose, and an expression of smug defiance, which when I read that, I thought was fantastic. Because as you learn a little bit more about him, you're going to envision that. (laughs) (laughs) What he looked like as a kid manifested his entire life. (laughs) Um, It's also been said Quote, that he has a glib tongue. And I think that did carry with him his entire life. Um, So he left home when he was 15. And he called himself, and we quote here again, a solitary soul wandering through the world, a homeless, joyless outcast. Oh, to be 15. My God. (laughs) (laughs) He was like an 1830s emo kid. He totally was, right? 100%. 15, man. (laughs) And although Griswold would like people to believe that he spent his teenage years voyaging the world, 
Modern biographers disagree with that claim because actually at 15, he was not out traveling the world by himself. He was in Troy, New York, attending the (laughs) Rensselaer School that is now Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And this was all thanks to his brother, who was a well-known businessman in that town. Griswold was, however, kicked out of the school shortly after he started his studies there because apparently he had a little problem with playing pranks. <laughs> so he went to live with his brother who was in Troy. And it's said that during that time, Griswold became acquainted with the writer George G. Foster, who's famous for writing the book New York by Gaslight. He moved out of Troy and moved in with Foster, who lived in Albany, New York. Now, if you're unfamiliar with New York State, Albany is about eight miles away from Troy. World traveler. Right. He's on his own. <laughs> voyaging the state. <laughs> While he was in his 20s, though, Griswold moved to Syracuse, New York. Again, not so far afield. And he started a newspaper there called The Porcupine, which is terribly charming as names go. It is, except for when you learn what he did with it. (laughs) Right. So this publication was later remembered as a spiteful critique that targeted locals. And mostly it was all written by Griswold under the pseudonym Toby Trinculo. Basically, it was just his next door that he had a printing press for. (laughs) Yes. I also laugh because I know what comes ahead. And I apologize for that. But this won't be the first time that we see Griswold using a pseudonym. But I really have a love-hate relationship that he uses them (laughs) and writes an entire newspaper under one. So anyway, he continued working as a journalist after Syracuse. And uh, he was a journalist and a critic in Philadelphia, New York City, and a few other northern cities at the time. When he began editing for the Chautauqua Whig, that officially established him as an editor. And he held editorships of both the Western Democrat and the Literary Inquirer in 1835. And then in 1836, he edited Olean Advocate. Much of his work at this time was, again, still in Western New York. So I'm actually going to change the topic quite a ways right now. Let's talk about Griswold's marriages for just a minute. And I bring this up because Griswold met his wife right before he began working at the Olean Advocate. The relationship he had with her is really interesting because it's unlike any other we see him have throughout his entire life. Watching it develop and watching them as a couple helps us see the complexity of Griswold and not just his hot streak. He was actually married three times during his life. Shortly after marrying his first wife, Caroline, Griswold actually became a reverend at her encouragement. Caroline unfortunately died young while she was giving birth to their third child, the son that also died during childbirth. And they had two daughters. And all accounts suggest that Griswold was deeply in love with Caroline from the moment he met her. As one story goes, he threw himself on her grave during her funeral. And another tells about how a month after she died, he actually snuck into the crypt where she was buried just so he could spend the night near her. Sorry, my my pause was just because I don't know if I'd want someone to sneak into my crypt or not. I'm torn torn on that. So while his marriage to Caroline made him feel saved, he has said, his other marriages were not so deep. He eventually remarried, as we said, to a woman named Charlotte Myers, who was many years his senior. But when Griswold became interested not in his wife, but in the poetess Alice Carr and asked for a divorce, Charlotte refused him. This turned into 
quite an ongoing conflict, and that marriage ultimately ended in a public and very controversial divorce. Griswold's third wife, Harriet McCrillis, left him after the previous divorce was almost repealed. Basically, after Caroline, he never got it right again. <laughs> no, he didn't. You know, he never should have tried. He should have just stuck with being a widower. <laughs> um, but enough now, though, about Griswold's marriages. We're going to take a quick sponsor break. And when we return, we're going to talk about how and when Griswold met Edgar Allan Poe. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, -day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older <laughs> in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. 
Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome back to Criminalia. Now we are going to talk about how Poe and Griswold met. So Rufus Griswold and Edgar Allan Poe met right around 1840. And that's when Griswold was planning a poetry anthology. So at this time in his career, Poe was working as a literary critic and he was a budding poet. He was interested in Griswold and the work that Griswold was doing. And the two of them met and ended up talking for hours Poe, presumably trying to be helpful, provided several works of his own for the anthology, and he also recommended poets for Griswold to consider. But Griswold ultimately ignored all of Poe's suggestions, although he did include some of Poe's works. Once that book was published, Griswold paid Poe to write a review of the anthology for the Boston Miscellany. A little awkward. Right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's some journalistic standards to be examined there. Not so cool. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah. Poe did take that job, and he wrote what was mostly a positive review. Except, oh yes, there is an exception. There's always. (laughs) He criticized some of the poets that had been selected, possibly as many as 24, including Longfellow, who Poe accused of plagiarizing Alfred Lord Tennyson. I mean, who among us hasn't done a little light Lord Tennyson plagiarism? from here, time to time, it just comes up. Poe stated that many of the poets who were selected were, and we're quoting him here, too mediocre to entitle them to particular notice. Ouch. Whammo! (laughs) So, Poe was known to be a really harsh literary critic. What? No way. He's gentle as a lamb. Everybody's doing their best, he wrote. I love your haiku. (laughs) So basically, when he reviewed your poem, your book, your anthology, whatever it was, his reviews generally stung. And he offended many of his peers and his colleagues with his writing. Um, But among the most offended was Rufus Griswold, who at the time was a rival editor, anthologist, and to Poe, at least, a failed poet. 
Griswold had once said about Poe that, quote, the tales of Mr. Poe are peculiar and impressive. He has a great deal of imagination and fancy, and his mind is in the highest degree analytical. The reader of Mr. Poe's tales is compelled almost at the outset to surrender his mind to the author's control. Now, that should have been the bio, and he should have just wrote the end. After. Right. I mean, that's beautiful <laughs> praise. That's that's lovely. But um, <clears throat> times change. So <laughs> after Poe's assessment of the anthology, Griswold believed that Poe thought too much of himself, and he was really displeased by the review. So this is the moment that sparked a rivalry that lasted beyond Poe's death and might be one of the longest standing smear campaigns of literary history. At the end of the day, experts on this rivalry put it pretty simply. Griswold was the kind of person who made enemies everywhere he went. And he and Poe may have just been a pair that provoked and infuriated each other. It happens, right? Sometimes people just rub you the wrong way. But, wow, this went much further than that. So a nightmare to many who knew him both socially and or professionally. Griswold was really actually pretty good at what he did. And he had built a strong literary reputation when his 1842 collection called The Poets and Poetry of America was released. In fact, Griswold and Poe had both worked on a publication called Graham's Magazine, uh, but to Poe's disappointment, when Griswold succeeded him as assistant editor, Griswold also took home a bigger paycheck. And Poe may have felt shortchanged, but Griswold had come to utterly loathe Poe because Poe had criticized Griswold's poetry collections. How dare he? How dare right? he? Right? He was obsessed with this <laughs> bad review. The owner of Graham's Magazine later commented that Poe, quote, gave Mr. Griswold some raps over the knuckles of force sufficient to be remembered. I suppose that is a way to say it. Yes. I mean, again, this is the kid who thinks he left home and paints himself as like this <laughs> lonely, penniless, Joyless. survivor of the world. <laughs> And then someone's like, you're kind of a crap poet. Like, <laughs> right. He's like, fine, then I'll just write under pseudonyms. You'll never know it's right. me. <laughs> His entire identity was undermined by this thing. So really, at this point in their story, this is when things went kind of truly weird. All right. So Poe died on October 7th, 1849. And the Poe-Griswold situation <laughs> moved beyond rivalry between two editors. Um, speculations about the cause of Poe's death abound, even today. They range from alcohol poisoning to an undiagnosed illness, such as maybe tuberculosis. And they even speculated that it could have been rabies which actually at that time wouldn't have been a weird thing like today. Uh, but what we do know is that he was found lying on a street in Baltimore, incoherent and dressed in someone else's clothing. He was admitted to the Washington College Hospital, where he spent his last days, and reportedly, while there, he kept repeating the name Reynolds. A local newspaper reported his cause of death as congestion of the brain. And today we would call that phrenitis or swelling of the brain, but it was at the time often used as a euphemism for alcohol poisoning. The circumstances surrounding Poe's untimely death remain one of the great mysteries about the author, even today. And it has long fueled the perception that he lived a life of debauchery. With Poe's death, Griswold saw an opportunity 
And he went on and on to defame Poe for many years. We are going to take a break. And then when we come back, we will talk about how and when Griswold began this campaign of defamation. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to Criminalia. So it all started with the obituary. 
That character assassination we mentioned before the break began immediately upon Poe's death. Griswold penned Poe's obituary for the New York Daily Tribune, which actually was so libelous, and he knew that, that he wrote it under the pseudonym Ludwig. (laughs) More pseudonyms. Come on, Rufus. Stand up for your own words. (laughs) So that obituary began, and I'm going to quote it. Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. He went on that Poe was morally bankrupt and a drunken womanizer. And today, we know that none of that is actually true. In this obituary, along with any information about Poe that came from Griswold, were all an attempt at revenge for some of the offensive and provoking things that Poe had written about Griswold and his work over the years. But there's a beautiful sort of irony here, which is that the attacks that Griswold mounted, which he intended to turn people off of reading Poe's works, actually had the opposite effect. People became very fascinated and started reading Poe even more after his death than when he was alive. I love it. The obituary was just the beginning. With Poe's death, Griswold became the wellspring of pretty much all the misinformation about Poe's life from the 1800s till today. And next in his toxic campaign, he decided that he would write Poe's memoirs. I always think about this in the (laughs) selfish lens and go, who that hates me would write my memoirs? (laughs) And how badly would that go? What would those sound like exactly? (laughs) And it's said that Poe had appointed his now literary rival, Griswold, to be his literary executor. And that sounds weird. Correct. But it also might have happened. Uh, It often seems when you read about their story that Griswold was really fuming all the time and Poe was kind of like, eh, you're crabby. Like he didn't have the same ire in return at all. I feel the same way. I feel like for Poe, he kind of like came and went out of the rivalry and like Griswold was just in it all the time. (laughs) Yes, because he was obsessed. Yes. So like we said, this may have actually happened that Poe chose Griswold to be his literary executor. It is actually likely that one of the following two things happened. So some historians think that, yes, Poe did name Griswold to be his literary executor, probably during a time when the two were in a more civil relationship, um, which, you know, possible. However, others believe it was more likely this scenario. Griswold probably convinced Poe's mother-in-law, a woman named Maria Clem, after Poe's death, to sign away the rights to the author's works, promising her profits from the sales of the memoir. But Maria was never actually paid. Uh, Well, she was paid, but not as she expected to be. She received six sets of the two volumes of the memoir with a card that said that she could sell them and that would be her profits. What a peach. Um, (laughs) Now, with all of Poe's literary papers, Griswold was able to take real events in Poe's life and twist them to fit the character of Poe that he was creating. And he ended up creating what you've probably heard of before, kind of a mad genius version of Poe, one where he became this poor, wandering madman with alcohol and opioid problems who talked to himself on the streets 
And Griswold backed up his claims about Poe with quote-unquote evidence, although most of that (laughs) so-called evidence has also been completely debunked. I would love to see that evidence. (laughs) So when Griswold edited and published an inaccurate collection of Poe's writings in which he included a biographical piece entitled Memoir of the Author, as you may guess, it did not paint a good picture of Poe. Griswold made false claims about Poe's character, and it was this piece that would go on to seal the negative reputation Griswold was trying to develop of Poe within the community. And it was starting to become how people thought of Poe. In the biography that Griswold wrote of Edgar Allan Poe, he also portrayed Poe as basically a conniving jerk who had conned a woman out of money and who spent most of his time drunk. But then Griswold actually took things to a new level. He made up passages and quotes from Poe posthumously. They were all quotes that gave high praise to Rufus Griswold. <laughs> Surprise! And they no were way. they were all attributed to Poe. So he claimed after the man's death that in fact he was very complimentary of him. Right. He's a terrible person, but he loved me. <laughs> Poe, at this point, was becoming a legend in the community, but his life, still to this day, is widely mischaracterized, and his character has been distorted this whole time because of this one book. And while Poe was an obsessive rivalry for Griswold, that was not the only person that Rufus had some controversy with. You don't say. (laughs) He had a personality type. There were a a lot of people that he had conflict with, but there are two that came up in the research that are really worth noting. Reverend Joel Healy and Griswold were working on books about George Washington at the same time. And through their interactions, Healy was angry and swore revenge. We don't know exactly what went down, but this is Griswold. He began calling Griswold, and we quote, such a liar that even his friends replied to his statements with the query, is that a Griswold or a fact? (laughs) Which I would really like to make a comeback. (laughs) Holly, I think we can do it. (laughs) I'm 100% using that in my day-to-day life. I'll have to explain it the first few times, but then it will catch on. People will start to get it, yeah. (laughs) Well, so... Unlike Griswold's lifelong stalking of Poe, this rivalry lasted only about a month. And unfortunately, no one today says, is that a Griswold or is it a fact anyway? So nothing about this rivalry really stuck. (laughs) It's kind of another like twist of the dagger that even an insult about him did not persist historically. Like you're not famous in any way, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that can't even stick. And Heatley was not the first person who butted heads with Griswold that year. A young woman named Elizabeth Ellett, who was well-known among the high circles of literary society, proposed to Griswold that she could write a book about American revolutionary women. And he really liked the idea, so he agreed. And he also agreed that she could have access to his private library. But she committed the terrible, terrible faux pas of never thanking him for letting her have that research access. Bless her soul. This (laughs) bruised Griswold's ego, and he found the oversight completely insulting. And Elizabeth Ellett essentially became dead to him at that point. Right. Rufus just can't. (laughs) Rufus just can't. It's going to be my reaction to anything that I don't want to deal with. I'm sorry, Rufus just can't. 
<laughs> Good. <laughs> so, okay, during the years between Poe's death and his own, Griswold published numerous poems and anthologies, as well as sermons and editorial pieces, and none of them had anything to do with Poe. Among his most notable works are The Poets and Poetry of America, which we talked about earlier, The Poets and Poetry of England, and a poem that was called Five Days, which was written for his first wife, Carolyn, after her death. Griswold continued to work on anthologies right up until his death by tuberculosis on August 27, 1857. And when Griswold died, there are stories that there was a portrait of Poe hanging on the wall in his hallway. This was the only portrait that Poe ever sat for, and Griswold had stolen it. <laughs> Listen, you might maybe use the word conned as a more appropriate right, description, right. <laughs> but basically... He had gotten it somehow from Poe's mother-in-law, the same exact woman who he had kind of conned into signing away the rights to Poe's works. Yeah, she should stop talking to him. So, <laughs> but I, I love the idea that it was a portrait on the wall in the hallway. Um, he hated him so much, he looked at him every single day. So we have Griswold and he has died. And just a few years after his death, a woman named Sarah Helen Whitman, Poe's former fiancée, published her own biography of Poe. Several other authors, editors, poets followed with their own written defense of Poe. And these versions, most of them at least, if not all of them, portrayed Poe in a much better light than Griswold ever had. And while they were unable to set the record straight within the community, they did finally almost successfully dismissed the popular idea that Poe was an opium addict. However, as time passed, it was Griswold's memoir of an author that he had written ages ago when Poe had first died that became accepted as a true account of Poe's life. In fact, it was actually really the only established biography of Poe for something like 25 years. And today, the largest collection of Griswold's work now belongs to a museum dedicated to his enemy. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that his portrait is hanging up in, you know, his historical society and it has nothing to do with him. <laughs> yes. And while Poe's legend, of course, lives on today, it's huge. Griswold is basically just remembered as Poe's first biographer and the man who smeared him after his death. Now, there was a story that came up that we talked about during the research that you loved, and you, there wasn't quite a correct place to yeah. put it here, but I wanted to make sure that you tell it because it's so incredibly charming. It is so charming, and I think that it is such a good description of who Poe actually was. I just fell in love with it. So it was a time after The Raven, the poem came out, and as a literary critic, you're not recognized on the street, but as a poet, um, at that time, you were. And so the Raven became very popular and so popular that children knew who Poe was and they would follow him around on the streets, cacawing at him, <laughs> which, I, which I think is fantastic, one. But two, he would turn around and sort of raise his hands up in the air and go, nevermore. And the kids would just run off like screaming and laughing and having a really good time with Edgar Allan Poe, which if you were Griswold, those words don't actually make sense. <laughs> it probably even incensed him that children liked him. I right? know. He was like, even the children are cacawing at him. <laughs> no one cacaws at me. <laughs> 
I just love that. I mean, everything that I've learned about Poe that hasn't had Griswold's touch to it just suggests he was such a charming man. It didn't fit in the script, and I appreciate you giving me the time to share it. It's slightly selfish because I love Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) I, like Rufus Griswold, have his portrait in my home, although not so I can sneer at it because I love him. So we, um, instead of What's Your Poison this season, have a little bit different name. So Holly's going to kick that off. Yeah. I mean, we still are going to have cocktails. There's no way oh, yeah. around it. Don't, um, don't mistake my language for no cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> just mean we're going to call them something else. And, and this one, you have to excuse because we're taking a little bit of linguistic license. We are calling these the chaser. Normally, a chaser is actually non-alcoholic. It's what you have after you have a shot where you then drink down like a soda or a water or something so that it helps balance that out in your system and you don't become a train wreck too quickly. (laughs) But we're calling them chasers because we're talking about stalkers and they will, in fact, usually have alcohol. I think it's a brilliant name. (laughs) (laughs) In thinking about these two and Rufus Griswold in particular... I wanted to make a dark drink and I wanted to make something that was just interesting and a little bit outside of where I would normally land. And I created something called the Bitter Rival. Uh, So it starts with four ounces of cold coffee, two ounces of rum. I used a spice rum. Mm -hmm. An ounce of simple syrup. You can use a flavored one. I used a little bit of my leftover honey syrup from when we did the bee's knees at the end of uh, season one. That's right. Three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. And then two to three shakes of Angostura bitters. The lemon juice is interesting. It gives it a little bit of bite, which is what we want, right? We don't Mm -hmm. want this to be an overly sweet and cloying thing. We most definitely do not with these men. Right, because (laughs) I want everything to be overly sweet and cloying. But yeah, you can do other bitters if you prefer them. I had Angostura on hand. Mix that all up. Give it a shake and a shaker if you wish. Pour it into your glass. And there you have a bitter rival. It's interesting because it doesn't have as much body as I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And it's not as bitey as I thought. And if you really dislike bitey, you can add a little more simple syrup. If you would prefer it to be a little more bitter, you can drop that down to like a three quarters of an ounce. But that is my my ode to Rufus Griswold, <laughs> the bitter rival. I like to think that Poe's the kind of guy who would have a lot of coffee. <laughs> One would hope. It's a coffee time. Uh, And it's also a good way if you are like me and you make like a pot of coffee and sometimes you end up with like a cold bit at the end that you don't really (laughs) want to drink. Put that in a jar or a container and toss it in your fridge and keep it on hand for something like this. It's a good way to not waste. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this kickoff to season two of Criminalia. We are so excited. There will be so many more stalkers to come uh, and we will see you next week right here. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.